All right. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody. Welcome to class number eight in our Watership Down class. We begin tonight with, uh, we start off book four. Uh, the we enter into the final book uh, of Watership Down. And uh, before we get started, though, I have a few important announcements tonight. Uh, first, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew, if you haven't heard yet, that our fall course, or spring courses, sorry, for uh, uh, the Mythgard Institute um, are officially open for registration. Um, and uh, the two literature courses we're offering this semester are part two of Amy Sturgis's excellent science fiction class, um, so we, which I just can't recommend enough uh, for people who really want to explore the, the, the development of the genre of science fiction. It is just, a, uh, the, the, the class is just uh, incomparable for that. And the, uh, and the second one, of course, is Tom Shippey's Beowulf class. And this is, really, uh, this is really something quite like the opportunity of a lifetime, to be able to study Beowulf, uh, Beowulf through Tolkien and Tolkien through Beowulf uh, with Tom Shippey, who is one of the great uh, Tolkien scholars in history and one of the great uh, Beowulf scholars as well. And um, to, uh, so to be able to go through that whole poem, to look at Tolkien's take on, to look at Beowulf, to look at Tolkien's take on Beowulf and the ways in which Beowulf, uh, this, the, the, the ways in which Beowulf played such a major role in Tolkien's own imagination. A lot of people really talk about, you know, Beowulf, everybody acknowledges Beowulf as an influence on Tolkien, but, you know, not that many people, I, you know, I find a lot of people just kind of acknowledge it um, and move on without really thinking about it. I mean, you can find particular references and particular overlap. Um, but rarely do you get the chance um, to, uh, uh, to, to really dig in and really look at the two side by side, especially with the benefit, of course, of the recent publication of, uh, of, of, the, of Tolkien's Beowulf uh, commentary and everything in translation. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's just a wonderful moment to do that. So I strongly, strongly recommend uh, you uh, look at our spring classes. They're going to be awesome. Um, so, so that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, we're also getting very close to MythMoot now. Um, we have already reached our uh, highest enrollment ever for MythMoot. We've got more people coming to MythMoot than we've ever had before. It should be even more fun than it has been in the past two years. This is our third year now. Uh, running MythMoot, um, and uh, I am really excited. That's going to be on the second weekend of January. Of course, it's the weekend of January 10th. Um, there's still some time to register, but time is starting to run out. So, uh, you know, if you would like to join us for MythMoot, um, it's going to be such uh, a wonderful opportunity to get together uh, with, uh, you know, with all of the uh, the, the, the good people here at MythGuard, students and faculty and, uh, you know, people who have been listening here in the MythGuard Academy, people who have been taking, uh, taking our classes. This is our big annual uh, sort of get-together, um, and uh, it's been marvelous fun so far. Um, I've been, the thing I've been most happy about uh, with MythMoot is the way that we have been able to kind of balance just you know, having fun together as fans with uh, uh, with some some you know really serious and engaging uh, intellectual content. So uh, I'm really looking forward to MythMoot again this year, um, and uh, and we're going to be joined, of course, this year uh, by Chris Pearson, who is the chief uh, the chief lore master uh, at. Lord of the Rings Online, so we're going to be looking at how uh, how Tolkien's works have been sort of taken and adapted in that completely different genre of, of, of video games, thinking about the ways and, and, and really sort of exploring um, what does this sort of 
show us about reading Tolkien's works. You know, what can we think about about our our relationships with uh, with the works themselves? How we read it, what we draw from them, um, about sort of the, the the interaction between reading and subcreation. You know, where where and how I see sort of adaptation really sort of falling in the middle of those two things. Um, anyway, it should be a lot of fun, and I really admire uh, the work that Chris Pearson has done uh, at. Lord of the Rings Online, uh, and it's fascinating to hear him talk about their process of world building based on Tolkien's world. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, and our th my third announcement, I've, I believe I've announced this once before, but this is a relatively new announcement, and that is we are doing the first of our official Mythgard regional events. You may remember I talked about uh, regional events, being able to do more local things in different parts of the country um, to be able, you know, to enable more people to, 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 to be able to get together and join us. And we're going to be doing our first regional event in New England, in, in the Boston area, in the at the end of at, at the end of February, February twenty eighth, um, and we're going to be doing a Lord of the Rings movie marathon. We're going to have a, a full day event where we watch all three of the Lord of the Rings films uh, with Tolkien themed uh, food uh, designed by Heath Dill, author of Medium Rare, and back again. And you also get the first chance to actually see his book, which is finally coming out after uh, after many delays in the publication process. It's finally almost out. I'm really excited for that too. Um, so anyway, we're we're uh, we're really looking forward to hosting that event. Um, you know, there's going to be fun times and discussion, and uh, uh, and it should be really cool. So that's in that's in that's in Boston, Arlington, technically, on February 28th. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, uh, to think about that and check that out as well. Okay. Uh, this ends uh, uh, this ends the announcements, uh, and I am uh, uh, and let's let's now go. I'm. Let's get to Hazel Ra. Um, though first, as I said I would do last time, I've been kind of giving Woundwort short shrift in a sense. I keep sort of threatening to talk more about Woundwort and to look at his character a little bit more closely, and I want to do that at the beginning here before we get any further. Um, because, of course, Woundwort, um, I find General Woundwort a really marvelous antagonist in this story. But what I admire about him is that he's not simply monstrous, right? He's not, um, but it's easy to think of him as such. Um, even thinking of something that Bigwig says, and we'll, we'll look at this passage later on, um, but, uh, uh, you know, when Bigwig says he's not like a rabbit at all, right? And it's easy to think about Woundwort like that, to think about him as some kind of freak, as some kind of... Um, just, well, I was about to say boogeyman, boogie rabbit, I guess. But anyway, you know, just as, as some kind of monstrous figure who is, you know, violent and evil in, in sort of really crude ways. Um, but I think there's a lot more to Woundwort's character than that. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that we're kind of giving Woundwort the criticizing for like the... the, the Appropriate things he deserves criticism for. Um, so to, again, to, to look at his at his depiction carefully, um, and at the same time, I would want to keep in mind, to me, sort of the two obvious points of contrast that we are given. Because in my mind, um, sort of flanking General Woundwort. I'm going to say this a different way. I can't imagine General Woundwort. I can't think about General Woundwort without comparing him at this, you know, at the same time to two different, uh, to two different 
other characters, right? On the one hand, you have Hazel, right? You've got Woundwort and Hazel as the chief rabbits of Ephrapha and the Watership Down Warren, and there are some obvious contrasts between the two of them and their management styles, right? Um, so on the one hand, you have Hazel as, as sort of an obvious point of contrast for Woundwort, but I, but, but I want to look at that carefully, again, not just to make uh, some kind of blanket assumption, uh, assumptions or crude statements, but to look at the way the two of them get put against each other. What are their differences and their similarities as they uh, they do have some similarities. But the other point of contrast for Hazel, it's not just that, right? Woundward is not just the other chief rabbit, the sort of the foil to um, to Hazel. He's also a foil for Bigwig. Um, we have Bigwig and we've had Bigwig from the beginning as that, you know, staunch, strong, no-nonsense, uh, I'm going to rely on my strength character. And um, Woundwort is in many ways an exaggerated version of Bigwig. I mean, the similarities between Bigwig and Woundwort are far more striking than the similarities between uh, between Hazel and Woundwort. And I wouldn't want to say, again, you know, there I, I don't mean to imply anything so simplistic as Woundwort is merely like, you know, there but for the grace of God goes Bigwig. There are plenty of differences. Um, I don't think from what we've seen, that there's much chance that Bigwig really would actually turn into something like Woundwort. But yet, what do their similarities show us? And what can we come to understand, you know, how can we come to understand Bigwig and Hazel themselves better also by looking at at, at, at Woundwort? So, um, uh, that's <laughs> Arthur Harrow, I, I assume Arthur, in relationship to Bigwig, says, Indeed, I am Woundwort. Woundwort as he should have been. Uh, that's fantastic, Arthur. That made me my favorite uh, uh, inappropriate application of a Tolkien quotation uh, in the Watership Down class so far, actually. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll come back around to that. Um, okay. So in order to, to, to do a little bit more uh, justice to Woundwort, we're going to have to go back a little bit because, of course, I skipped most of his introductory stuff, and we, we kept uh, we kept never getting around to it. So I want to I want I want to double back a little bit more to the backstory of Woundwort uh, that the book gives us. Oh, and by the way, the title um, uh, for today's class is "Big Rabbit, Small Rabbit," which, of course, is designed to uh, to invoke uh, uh, Woundwort and Hazel as the two um, as the two chief rabbits. Hazel, of course, is not a tiny rabbit like Pipkin or um, uh, or Fiverr, you remember that Fiverr, way back in Chapter 1, opined that Hazel had a decent chance of making the Elzla someday himself back in the Sandalford Warren before, you know, it got ripped to pieces. But, um, uh, so we know that Hazel is not uh, a shrimp, but at the same time, compared to Woundwort, of course, he's, he's uh, and even indeed it seems compared to most of the African Elzla, he's, he's uh, um, not somebody that they take, uh, that they would take very seriously physically. But of course, if you remember what the actual uh, reference is, I'm also doing a slant quote. I would have done a full quotation, but it was a little bit too long. Of the opening of the Rousby Wolf story, um, when Dandelion lays it on thick um, at, uh, at, at, there wasn't Fiverr, I think, who requested that he lay it on thick, um, when he started telling the Rousby Wolf story, um, 
the, the dandelion's beginning of the Rousey, of the Rousey Wolf story start uh, is has more kind of rhetorical flourish than the beginning of any other of the El Herrera stories. Um, and remember, he starts with that you know there was a big rabbit, there was a small rabbit, uh, there was El Herrera, and uh, and it's it, it, that that always jumps out at me. It's a, it's such an interesting beginning. What did who are the big rabbit and the small rabbit that he's talking about? But what does it have to do with that story? Um, I always find that opening fascinating, mostly because I don't think I really understand it. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, in the context, it really is sort of especially jumped out at me, not only because I don't feel that I really understand it, um, but in the context of what I had already been thinking about, about Hazel and Bigwig, it really, or Hazel and, uh, and Woolwort. Um, though actually, you know, Hazel and Bigwig actually thinking of their relationship is another thing that I've been thinking about. But anyway, it, it really struck me as interesting in that context too, especially, so that's why I titled the class this. Um, but, wound work. Okay. Um, so, let's see, hang on a second. Sorry, I have to adjust my screen a little bit. Uh, and uh, I, I hope you will be able to sort of bear with me tonight. I have a, a few um, sort of technical differences this evening. Uh, I am joining you, as you can tell from my background, not from my accustomed location, um, but, uh, but from uh, my in-laws house in uh, Phoenix, uh, where I've taught several Mythgard Academy classes in the past. Some of you may recognize the room, um, but uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, in my uh, hardware setup here is not the same as it normally is, uh, so I hope everything is able to come across all right. If you notice anything odd uh, in what you're seeing on the screen or what you're hearing or not hearing, please do um, don't uh, hesitate to uh, to let me know. Um, okay, all right. Anyway, oops, now I've gone too far. Here we go. Okay. The description of Woonwork. So Woonwork, remember, was raised in captivity, right? He was taken in uh, as a baby after his mother was killed before his eyes, uh, and he was nursed to health and grown in a cage uh, in this guy's house before he broke out of the cage, almost killed the guy's cat, and ran off. Um, so it's interesting to recall, you know, we've talked at several points about sort of the different examples of rabbit culture or in even the sort of the different kind of perversions of rabbit culture that we've seen throughout the story. Um, Sandalford War and the Warren of the Snares and Afrifa, and of course several of you have very appropriately reminded me of the Hutch Rabbits as another one of these cultures that we have to keep in mind. Um, and notice that Woundwort is himself already in that category, or already sort of skirting several of those categories, that one of the things that formed him was that um, it's not exactly Hutch Rabbit culture, but it's, it's particularly fascinating to think about Woundwort coming out of that, you know, that he's already been changed in some way, though certainly um, he comes out of it, he comes out of that experience very different than uh, Haystack and Clover come out of their uh, domestication experience, of course. Um, but anyway, uh, back to our passage here. Most rabbits in his situation, lacking almost all experience of wild life, would have fallen victim at once to the elo, but not Woundwort. After a few days' wandering, he came upon a small warren, and, snarling and clawing, forced them to accept him. Soon he had become chief rabbit, having killed both the previous chief and a rival named Fiorin. In combat he was terrifying, fighting entirely to kill, 
indifferent to any wounds he received himself, enclosing with his adversaries until his weight overbore and exhausted them. Those who had no heart to oppose him were not long in feeling that here was a leader indeed. Woundwort was ready to fight anything except a fox. One evening he attacked and drove off a foraging, a foraging Aberdeen puppy. He was impervious to the, to the fascination of the, of the mustelidae and hoped someday to kill a weasel, if not a stoat. Uh, let me pause here for a second. Mustelidae is the, uh, is the Latin name of the family of animals that weasels fit into. Um, so that's the general term. Uh, weasels and stoats primarily are the two that keep coming up among the elil in the story um, who belong to the family of the Mustelidae. And this is um, uh, the, the idea here, which has been raised several times, is that sometimes a weasel or a stoat will fascinate an animal, sort of like dancing around and keeping their attention and sneaking ever closer um, while they're not real, while they're fascinated and distracted until they can pounce on them. Um, and uh, so that is, it is that fascination that Woundwort is impervious to. Um, and for people who don't know what a stoat is, a stoat is basically a subspecies of weasel. Um, a stoat is an ermine, uh, if you, you know, the ermine, the white fur that was so often used in, you know, in like royal robes and things. Um, that's what a stoat is. Um, stoats are a little bit larger than weasels. That's why it says he hopes someday to kill a weasel, if not a stoat. Stoats are a little bit bigger than weasels. Um, so that's why it's, it's sort of a higher challenge uh, on uh, on uh, Woundwort's sort of personal elil fighting bucket list there. Um, anyway, okay, enough commentary. When he had explored the limits of his own strength, he set to work to satisfy his longing for still more power in the only possible way, by increasing the power of the rabbits about him. He needed a bigger kingdom. Men were the great danger, but this could be circumvented by cunning and discipline. He left the small warren, taking his followers with him, and set out to look for a place suited to his purpose, where the very existence of rabbits could be concealed and extermination made very difficult. Okay. Um, yeah, Nancy points out that Woundwort's strategy of killing everything uh, seems to be pretty effective. Yes, yes, I, I, uh, I agree. Um, Tom Hillman points out that those who had no heart to oppose him is hardly a ringing endorsement, uh, its damnation with faint praise. It is, Tom, though again, I think it's important because this is something that gets emphasized a lot, right? And that is how much his followers genuinely admire him. Um, he doesn't only rule by fear. Fear is the dominant factor in Ephrafa. It's the dominant uh, factor in his relationship with other rabbits. Uh, you know, there's no questioning that. But it's not simply they, the 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 rabbits of 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 Ephrafa, Certainly, the um, uh, the the um, uh, the. Sorry, certainly the Ausla. Sorry, I forgot. I think my email notifications are coming up. I need to quit my email there. Um, again, sorry. I apologize. I'm not used to using one screen. Um, the Ausla don't hate and fear him, right? It's not a question of like they hate him and they would get rid of him if they possibly could, but they're just too afraid of him to do anything, right? They genuinely admire and are loyal to him. Um, they think he's just the greatest thing ever, in part because he kind of is the greatest thing, the biggest thing ever, the strongest thing ever, the most impressive thing ever. Um, but again, I think it's important that he's more than just, in his relationship with others, he's more than simply a bully. And to me, the most interesting character in this regard um, 
is Captain Campion. Because, of course, you might be thinking, well, hang on a second, bullies often have followers, right? Other people who admire the great bully, who want to be bullies themselves, and so they tag along with the bully and join in with the bully in bullying on weaker kids whom they probably wouldn't be able to uh, bully so effectively on their own. Um, so, again, they're emulating the bully, and that's, that doesn't suggest that the bully actually has really great leadership strengths or anything, uh, nor does it suggest anything very virtuous or, or or sort of ennobled about the relationship between uh, the bully and his lackeys. But that's not what we see in Ephrapha. With some of them, yes, but not with all of them. And to me, the character that is so interesting is Captain Campion. Um, exactly. Philip was just pointing to the same thing. As Philip Lord just said, Campion is not a toady. He's not. Um, the fact that all of the rabbits instinctively admire Campion, right? Bigwig, Hazel, all of their response when they meet Captain Campion is, this is a great guy. I, 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 I wish we could be friends with Campion. They genuinely admire Campion, and Campion follows Woundward. He is, he is, he is really, I mean, when we meet him, maybe, you know, we don't, you know, there was, there was Mallow, and there was Charlock, and, you know, there are all those great Efferfin officers who have sadly died before we meet them. Um, but, uh, but at the time when we meet General Woundward, Campion is clearly his right-hand guy. Vervain is his bully boy, but, uh, but Campion is clearly the guy who is his biggest supporter. And uh, um, as Yana says, sometimes those followers can be even more cruel than the actual bully, and that's certainly true. But that's not, again, but that's, it's, f for that reason, Yana, exactly, we see that's not the system. Now, we want to see, you know, people like, you know, people like, Rabbits like Vervain, right? Rabbits like Bartzia, the Auslifa guy who was guarding, um, uh, who, who was guarding um, Blankovar. They don't seem to be very pleasant uh, people, right? But Cherville, Avens, we see them, you know, their outlook corrupted. You know, we, we, we you know, like the antisocial little beasts, right? You know, we, we were looking at some of their comments and seeing the way in which their own perspective, their relationship with the other rabbits, um, their sort of perspective on things has been skewed. But again, they don't sound simply like bullies. I don't think simply toadies in that way. Um, and, and and again, Campion is clearly the, is clearly the shining example of this. Um, Michael, Chivkowski says um, that Woundwort can't have um, too many toadies. He recognizes the need for capable subordinates. He just doesn't want anyone else to be independent. Yes, he wants people to obey him and to follow his orders. But remember, when we first meet Woundwort, the first time we see Woundwort, um, and he's uh, having his 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 uh, you know troubled think over uh, how where am I going to find good officers? Right, right before Bigwig hops up out of the grasp. Um, exactly the problem that he's looking, you know, he doesn't want toadies. He doesn't need enforcers, right? He doesn't need, um, he doesn't need bullies. He needs people who are capable of thinking for themselves and leading, right? You know, again, even thinking when he's going around with Cherville and thinking about the, um, about his centuries, right? And asking Cherville about his centuries and, um, and if there are any of them that might make officer material, um, and clearly what he means by officer material is not who do you have that's really strong? Who do you have that's willing to be ruthless? Who do you have that is that will do anything that I tell them to do, no matter how abhorrent it might, uh, how abhorrent it might seem at first? That's, um, 
that's not obviously not what their conversation is about. To him, a good officer is somebody who has not too much initiative, um, but who has initiative, who can think for himself, who's capable of leading. Um, you know, he he is um, he's not simply in that sense a bully. Um, Michael. Juskowski is reminded of, uh, of of Ender's game. You know that Ender's army was more capable because his his uh, his tomb leaders think for themselves and operate independently. Yes. Now that's not to say that Woolworth's leadership strategy is the same as Ender's, right? Uh, it's not. Um, again, he doesn't want um, his captains to be totally independent of him, right? He's not trying to build. The, uh, you know, he wants to be in central control of everything. Um, but yes, he recognizes the need for that kind of that kind of that kind of thinking. Um, yeah, Philip says Campion often presents a differing point of view to Woundwort, and it seems that Woundwort respects that. Yes, but again, I would also emphasize it seems that Campion respects Woundwort, um, not just fears him, but actually respects him as well. And I, and I think that we as readers really need to sort of pause and give that credence for a second. Um, because again, unless we're going to dismiss Hazel and Bigwig and everybody else, we can't just dismiss Campion. They don't dismiss Campion. They respect Campion. Campion respects Woundwort. Um, there's something more to it than, than again, simply, um, simply bullying. Um, notice here, though, um, what sets Woundwort apart, right? What is Woundworth's path to power? Well, his path to power is really simple, right? Much simpler than Hazel's, for instance, right? He was the biggest and strongest. But notice, it's not just about biggest and strongest. Um, it's not simply uh, the fact that, as you know, he joins this new Warren, and in the normal order of things, you know, he uh, like as when it was this time for the succession, everyone was like, Woundworth is obviously biggest and strongest. No, right? What what how he gets to where he gets, you know, how he becomes Chief Rabbit instantaneously um, is by his ferocity as well as by his strength. And those two things, I think, are important not to confuse, right? Um, it's not just that he's stronger, it's that he is aggressive. Um, you know, he comes in, he, uh, he, he, he snarls and claws his way into the Warren, um, kills their Chief Rabbit, kills a, a, a rival who comes after him after he kills the chief rabbit, um, and then everyone's fine <laughs> with him, right? He has established himself. Um, so again, it's not just his ability to beat other rabbits, to kill other rabbits, but his willingness, indeed what seems to be his eagerness uh, to fight them. And, and, and of course it's not only other rabbits and rivals that he is willing to fight and prone to fight, um, but he fights the Elil too. He's like, I mean, this sounds like of that second par the first half of that second paragraph sounds like the makings of like a rabbit hero, right? I mean, that sounds like it could be like a rabbit legend, right? Woundwort, the rabbit who transcended rabbitry, right? Uh, Woundwort, the 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 monstrous rabbit who would who could would single-handedly fight the Elil um, and not run. From I mean, this sound this sounds like a really good thing, right? Just as it does seem to be a good and heroic thing when Bigwig is wanting to stand up to the cats. Tom Hillman is thinking of the twelve labors of Woundwort. Absolutely, you could do that. Um, I could. Uh, I could. Well, I can't imagine 
There's some things about that I can't imagine, but yes, exactly. It could be sort of that. <laughs> James Stevens says Beowort. Uh, yes, something like that, uh, James. Exactly. Um, but uh, but note the root of it, right? Um, uh, it's 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 really clear. Um, it is made really clear. Sorry. Messing up the slide again. Um, it's made really clear by the uh, segue in that second paragraph, right? When he had explored the limits of his own strength, um, he set to uh, he set to work to satisfy his longing for still more power in the only possible way by increasing the power of the rabbits about him. He needed a bigger kingdom. Um, what drives him? Why does he do what he do? Why, why does he do what he does? Why did he um, establish himself as Chief Rabbit? Why does he go after all the Elo? Um, is it an Ella Herrera-like desire to protect his warren? That would be admirable, right? Um, I mean, the three are a, got a stoat killed by luring it uh, onto the gardener's gun. Um, that was a noble action by a Chief Rabbit, right? That's just how a Chief Rabbit should act. Um, showing resourcefulness, cleverness, level-headedness, um, uh, and willingness to sacrifice himself, to risk himself for the, for the sake of the Warren. That legendary action of the Three Arrows is, is a great example. But hey, you know, how much better had he just uh, had gone out and beat the stuffing out of the stoat instead, right? I mean, that's an upgrade. Isn't that an upgrade? Right? That's got to be an upgrade. Um, but we see the motivation for it is not those chief rabbity type things, right? It's not um, simply this sort of selfless desire to uh, see to the good of the Warren. We're told that his, uh, you know, that what he's wanting to do is to um, satisfy his longing for still more power. Um, that woundwort seeks and loves power itself, that that's a fundamental part of his character. Um, and that's, an that's clearly an important thing. Now, several of you are pointing out he does, in fact, fear something, right? It's manifest that he fears something, and that is man, right? Um, men with a great danger, but this could be circumvented by cunning and discipline. Um, he is still acting out of fear. James is still acting out of fear of extermination. Um, yes, yes. Um, uh, he, he, he does seem to fear men. There does seem to be uh, a kind of paranoia there. You know, again, it's hard not to think, given Woundwort's own connection with men, you know, him being raised in a cage, uh, right, in the house of a man, um, that this uh, seems to have scarred him in some ways and made him somewhat paranoid. Um, but at the same time, um, it's not simply a question of him being like neurotic and irrational and terrified of men, right? Um, it's also clear, just as his desire to conceal the Warren from humans is, you know, the great overarching uh, theme of all of the, you know, sort of bizarre societal innovations of Ephrafa, they're also means to an end, right? Um, uh, there's an element, it seems to me, I, I, I'm unwilling to see Woundwort as simply obsessed, like, phobic of men, 
right? Which leads him to certain obsessions and um, and you know has led to the whole getting out of hand of African of the African security because he's so um, uh, you know, sort of irrational, you know, more than is accustomed, uh, terrified of men. I, I don't see that with Wombard. Um and the main reason I don't see that is again we're told his 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 fundamental longing is for is for more power and the security measures that he puts in place in order ostensibly to protect him from men of course very greatly um, very greatly increases his power over them right it greatly increases it puts um, them under his control we see he's somebody who loves to control who wants to have power over others and the main thing that we see in Ephrafa is like yes yes they're very obsessed with security but the result is that the rabbits in Ephrafa are more are, are more fully under the personal domination of their chief rabbit than any other rabbits we've seen um, all in the interest of protecting them right remember again that's why Avens calls them antisocial little beasts for wanting to uh, to pass Raka above ground to, to want to be natural right um, because every you know, everyone's good depends upon everybody's cooperation um, and all that but again the outcome is they may be Avens may well believe that right but the outcome is that they are under General Wombard's thumb more firmly than any other rabbits you know that we ever see even in El Herrera Osborne um, they are not so dominated by him as uh, the Ephrafids are by Woundward um, uh, yeah yeah um, yeah um, now Peter Ripsky points out that when we first meet Woundward, his warren is not exactly thriving under his model. The does aren't producing young. The warren is crowded, uh, and uh, he is short in good officers to maintain order and, and enforce discipline. Um, absolutely, yes. We see the system is breaking down again. To use the, the phrase that the um, that that uh, the Ephrafans use. Um, yes, it's not working. It's not producing. Um, because, because and remember, he himself recognizes this, right? That on the one hand, the security angle is really good, right? Because both because it gives him the maximum amount of direct power over the rabbits in his warren, while at the same time providing maximum protection for man. So he can't fight man, right? But he can thwart man through his cleverness. And the, so that's what he's done. So they have nothing to. So basically, Woundward doesn't have to be afraid of anything or anybody. Right, that he is afraid of no elil. He's not afraid of man because his security uh, is so tight, and he's not afraid of any other rabbit. So there is one word without fear, right? In theory. But remember, the problem is he is um, his desire to keep the warren tightly under his control and restricted uh, conflicts with his desire to expand his kingdom. Right? We're told this is why he started doing the wide patrols, because he wanted to expand his kingdom. He wanted to do more, um, but he couldn't just let Ephrafa continue growing and maintain the control that he had over it. Right? Um, so, Peter, I mean, that's, that's a fundamental, it points to a fundamental flaw, right? And I think it's a fundamental flaw in Woundwart's approach, which shows that it's a bad approach, right? It's, it, it shows, like, basically the natural tendency of Woundwart's leadership is not towards the thriving of the Warren, but towards its death, towards its stagnation. Um, and I, 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 that's certainly a problem. 
Um, and it's one that even Woundwort himself seems to be almost uh, almost aware of, right? Or, or sort of wrestling with. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, Kate Neville says, men have enormous power to destroy, to cage, to control the lives of other creatures. A woundwort doesn't like to feel powerless. One of the reasons he dislikes large birds who can fly away from him. Um, yes, yes. You, you just think about, uh, you know, Kate, I think about that rhyme, right? Oh, fly away, great bird so white. Um, we can't have that, right? Um, for several reasons, we can't have that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, let's uh, let's uh, let's move on. There's more wound war to talk about here. Thinking about the wide patrols, as I, which as I was just mentioning, the wide patrols began as mere forays or raids led by Woundwort into the surrounding country. He would simply pick four or five of the Ausla and take them out to look for trouble. On the first occasion, they were lucky enough to find and kill a sick owl that had eaten a mouse that had eaten poison-dressed seed corn. On the next, they came upon two Hlesel, whom they compelled to return with them to join the warren. Woundwort was no mere bully. He knew how to encourage other rabbits and to fill them with a spirit of emulation. It was not long before his officers were asking to be allowed to lead patrols. Woundwort would give them tasks to search for Hlesel in a certain direction, or to find out whether a particular ditch or barn contained rats, which could later be attacked in force and driven out. Only from farms and gardens were they ordered to keep clear. One of these patrols, led by a certain Captain Orcus, discovered a small warren two miles to the east, beyond the King's Clear Overton Road, on the outskirts of Muntley Copse. The general led an expedition against it and broke it up, the prisoners being brought back to Afrifa, where a few of them later rose to be Ausla members themselves. Okay, what do we see here? What do we notice? What do we learn about Woundwort here in this passage. Well, the thing that really jumped out at me here, and you can see I've, I've pointed the direction that I'm already thinking here uh, in my subtitle for this slide, um, one of the spirit of mischief, um, of, of adventure, of exploration, uh, reconnaissance, and, 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 and uh, breaking into stuff, um, this is this is part of the spirit of rabbitry, right? This is part of the heritage of El Herrera, one of the gifts of El Herrera. Um, and notice Woundwort's relationship with it, right? I think it's. I think this is this is to me a very interesting, a very telling passage, and helps me to refine my understanding of sort of Woundwort's status as a chief rabbit, sort of as a rabbit at all. Again, Bigwig says um, he doesn't think like a rabbit at all. Well, he kind of does think like a rabbit, and yet very different, right? Um, it's, uh, on the one hand, it seems to be very much in line with this spirit of mischief, right? Hey, what's patrol? Let's go out just like looking for trouble, right? Let's find out, you know, what mischief we can get into. Um, that seems rather eloquent rather Elohera-like, of course, right? But notice, <clears throat> he explicitly, for the only thing the Wide Patrols are explicitly forbidden from doing is the very thing that is the essence of the rabbit spirit of mischief, right? Which is breaking into gardens. Um, so they can't do, they're forbidden to do the one thing which is totally natural to them. Remember that um, on the way home from Watership Down when Bigwig and Hazel see the, you know, the, 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 
the man right the cottager who's standing they, they didn't notice him because he's he's uh, uh, he's he's downwind of them so uh, they turn over and look and find this man standing there leaning over the wall staring at them right and they say oh they're, they're thinking of his he's thinking of his vegetables right now um, and hazel says yeah and once the other rabbits find out that there's a cottage there we're not going to be able to keep them out of the garden, right? It's like a given that rabbits, if they find out there's a garden nearby, are going to go raid it. I mean, like you just can't, you just can't stop it. Um, so, but Woundwort stops it, right? He insists on it. He takes that. So again, it's not like a completely anti-rabbit thing, right? He doesn't say like no more mischief, right? No more wandering, no more adventures. No, he takes that rabbit impulse and reroutes it. Right, reroutes it in ways, thus exerting his control over them, but also rerouting it into ways which ultimately lead to the greater control by Ephrafa and therefore by Woundwort of his entire environment. Right, um, and so again, that seems to me very telling. Again, it's not that he is simply the unrabbit or the anti-rabbit, but rather he is he is many of those things that a great chief rabbit should be, but twisted, um, perverted in, uh, in this particular direction, in this direction of the desire for power um, and, in the, and that, that sort of thirst for power and uh, delight in violence that we see in Moonward. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, both, let's see, James and who else was it? Somebody else. Sorry, I've lost it. Um, was pointing out. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Patricia. Um, the way that that Woundwort builds up other rabbits and fills them with a spirit of emulation is very Hazel-like. His his leadership style is not totally unlike Hazel. Right. Again, he's not just. I'm the biggest boy in the block, and don't you want to be tough like me? Um, he knows how to encourage other rabbits and to fill them with the spirit of emulation. He makes other... Remember, his desire to expand his own power leads him to increase the power of the rabbits beneath him, right? Of the, of the rabbits under his command. Um, the best way for him to increase his kingdom is to make the rabbits who are under him better and stronger. And he does that. And it is like or at least strongly reminiscent of Hazel's own approach. Um, now, interesting, Sarah Lagarde says, it seems that Woundwort has heard about these rabbit society customs, but hasn't internalized them. Um, he, he uses selected customs for his purposes, but doesn't hold with them naturally within his own nature. Um, yeah, Sarah, it, it's, that's interesting, isn't it? And again, it's especially interesting remembering that he was he was essentially raised outside of rabbit culture, right? That there is a way, because of his childhood history, in which Woundwort is a stranger to rabbit culture. And in fact, in that way, one of the things that I find um, another kind of point of contrast, and it's kind of a counterintuitive one, I mean, Bigwig, comparing Bigwig and Woundwort is pretty obvious, comparing Hazel and Woundwort is pretty obvious, but here's another sort of interesting foil for, uh, for Woundwort, and that would be, well, either clover and boxwood, or also strawberry, right? Strawberry, who not he's, that he's coming from an, a non-rabbit culture, but one of the snares might as well be a non-rabbit culture, right? Anyway, certainly very different rabbit culture. And you look at the way in which 
sort of the things that Strawberry has to learn about how, um, you know, functional rabbit societies g work, um, and uh, and you compare that to Woundwort, and I, I I think that that's sort of another interesting thing. Um, uh, Alan Cardenas uh, uh, has a really interesting question. He says, "Why do none of Woundwort's rabbits compare him to Ella Prera? Is that the author avoiding putting Woundwort in a good light?" Um, no, Alan, that's a great question. I don't think so. I don't think it's that like Adams is worried that we might think well of Woundwort exactly. I don't, I don't think it's exactly that. Um, but I agree. I think that it's very telling. And to me, that sort of of a piece with his title. Right, no, he's not Woundwort Ra, right? Um, he's General Woundwort. He's given a military title, uh, not a, uh, and he's just called the general. Um, he's not compared. I mean, the adding of the Ra at the end of the name of the chief rabbit, you know, from Threer to uh, the Threera, you know, Hazel to Hazel Ra, which of course we should recall as the title of Book Four, right? And that seems important. Um, um, you know all of this. You know from Elacrera, the you know chief of the thousand, uh, uh, the chief of the thousand enemies. Um, I know that Ra literally means chief in that way, so it's not it's not merely a record, you know a nod to Elacrera when that's done. Um, um, but at the same time, it's hard not to connect those two things. General Woundwort um, is uh, is no. Ra there, right? I mean, he he is not like Elahera, and you're right. Not even the people who love, not even the rabbits who admire him, compare him to Elahera. Whereas we hear that all the time in the Watership Down Warren, right? Remember Bigwig's words to Heisenthway, right? That uh, the uh, the rabbits, you know, from his Warren are like Elahera's Ausla, right? That's how clever they are. Um, and, whereas again, you don't hear that about Woundwort. Um, there is the sense, I think, in which he is, he's not like El Herrera. he's not compared to El Herrera because he's breaking the rabbit mold. He's not simply abandoning it, right? He's not, but he's, Woundward is taking rabbitry in a different direction, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, so he's not just following in the footsteps of El Herrera. he's doing something else. So therefore, even those who admire him don't say, um, oh yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, He's just like El Herrera. Whatever he is, he's not just like El Herrera. Um, Gerald Michael asks, does Woundwort know any of the El Herrera stories? He's got to. I mean, again, he won't have grown up with them in the same way, um, but, um, but it's, it's not like he's uninitiated to the entire mythology. That can't be true. Um, I mean, we know, remember um, Bigwig heard several stories and told one when he was circulating around the the Ausla burrows, which turned out to be very unwise, um, uh, in Africa, and that um, I, it's hard for me to imagine that those stories didn't involve El Herrera at all, right? Bigwig's story certainly would have been an El Herrera story, wouldn't it? I mean, doesn't it seem likely? Um, so, the, uh, you know, I. I can't imagine that he's actually ignorant, um, but uh, but it is I think important that it never you know Alan I think it's a great thing to bring up that it really just sort of never comes up. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Yana uh, says it's interesting that military titles are usually reserved for Ausla members only in this book. 
Maybe in a normal rabbit society, Woundwort would just have been the head of the Owsla. Um, yeah, Captain, right? You know, um, Holly is called Captain of the Sandalford Owsla long before they encounter um, Ephrafa, right? So it's not just that the military titles are being used as presumably translations, right, of, of a rabbit word. There's some title that they're giving Woundwort which is being translated for our benefit into general, right, to give us an idea of what they're saying. Um, but, uh, but Yana, you're right. That concept of that, that sort of military-esque title is already there in Captain. Holly was Captain of Ausla, right? Captain of Ausla is, as far as we can tell, a normal um, uh, rabbit title, right? Um, so, Yana, that's an interesting idea. And, of course, I can't help but think that this, again, puts him into interesting... Uh, contrast with Bigwig, right? Bigwig, who is chief of Ausla, right? That's the position that Bigwig um, is is destined to fill, right? We already hear in the first half of book four, Hazel talking about, um, you know, Bigwig building him a really good Ausla, right? It sort of goes without saying that if Hazel is chief rabbit, Bigwig is going to be captain of Ausla, right? I mean, that's... that. Uh, um, that's that, that's already clear long before the title is officially given to him. Um, but so yeah, so General Yana, you know, thinking about that as the um, we lose in Africa that sense of that kind of pseudo military hierarchy in the Ausla, and then the Chief Rabbit being kind of separate from that. Right? Um, it's not simply. It's not simply a hierarchy. I mean, it is a hierarchy with him at the top and the captain under him and the Ausla under him. Um, but, but again, it's it's there's like a qualitative difference, right? Not just a difference in rank. Um, you wouldn't just get promoted from captain of Ausla to chief rabbit automatically. Um, it's a different function. It's a different kind of thing. Whereas Woundwort doesn't exactly have the same um, the same. Uh, 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 Kind of separate uh, separation, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Now Arthur mentions, and Philip had mentioned before, that um, Ephrafa has a, has a council, right? Which we haven't seen before. This idea. This is one. This is one of Woundwort's innovations um, to build up the council, and it's an interesting one, right? Because on the one hand, it seems counterintuitive. It's a sign of his delegation, right? His his. Woundwort does not, in fact, insist that absolutely everything goes through him, right? Does not insist on maining absolute control of every element of Ephrafin society. There are council members who are put in charge of each of these other things. He delegates stuff. Um, so he's a better delegator than many dictators uh, might be, um, but um, uh, but it does. It also creates this this uh, uh, this sort of separate. Um, this 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 other kind of different body, but again, notice it's not. There is a sense in which Hazel has done the same thing. Here again, I see similarities between um, between uh, uh, Hazel and Woundwort. Right, Woundwort has identified certain rabbits in his warren who are really good at certain things. Like was it Snowdrop, isn't that his name? The one who's in charge of, of, of keeping the war in secret, right? The, 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 his main security guy, right? Um, not his main enforcer, but his main, uh, uh, his, main, his main 
are the, the, the architect of security. Um, he and Snowdrop is weak and almost blind, right? He's old and, and he's, you know, he's clearly, the council is not, you know, the greatest fighters in the, in, in the war. And it's not just uh, the, 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 the hierarchy of the strongest, right? The council is a very Hazel style group in that sense. Uh, just like you have a de facto council. Hazel has a de facto council. Right, you know, you've got you've got Bigwig and Silver and Fiverr and Blackberry, um, you know, and they're they're um, basically they're his go-to counsel, right? When he really wants to talk something over, when he wants to figure something out, um, you know, he 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 has you know found those rabbits among his uh, you know among his following who have these remarkable and very useful skills and abilities and he listens to them and gives them um, you know and 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 here's from you know he's still the chief rabbit but they it's not official right they're not called the council um, but it's like that again so again it's one word is not just a all I care about is strength, right? I'm going to assert my own strength. The only thing I value in others is strength, right? And I'm going to, and ferocity. Um, he has, there are, there are ways, it's the thing that I think makes Woundward so interesting is that there's a kind of tragedy in Woundward, right? You know, he's like, he's not just horrible and like unrecognizably twisted. He's recognizably twisted, right? He's like, close, quite close really, to in fact being a leader of vision and genius, right? Um, but but he turns away from that, and that's the drama that we're sort of working up to. Um, uh, um, right, Philip, and now Blackavar, good. Uh, Blackavar's integration into Watership Down society shows, clearly shows, um, Hazel's, and, and, and Holly as well, right? Um, uh, shows Hazel's uh, his his ability to adapt the way that he sort of will will respect um, worth and uh, uh, you know and, and values what other rabbits can do and not just the biggest and strongest. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Thomas Johnson points out that you know, of course one does get the sense that the Efferfin Council wouldn't be quite so easy to join as 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 Black of ours. Um, you know, being brought into sort of the inner circle of uh, of, of of Watership Down leaders. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, you wouldn't. You you don't get that sense at all. Um, <clears throat> they would have to earn their position very differently. I agree. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, I mean, there's there's genuine greatness to Woundwort, and it is a kind of greatness which is like the greatness that we see in Hazel, like the greatness that we see in Bigwig. Um, but I almost just accidentally used, <laughs> used the phrase tragically flawed, which I didn't mean. Um, so never mind, forget I said that. Um, which is flawed, tragically. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, more. This moment, I think, is, is a really fascinating one. Uh, it's a very brief moment. Um, but it's a fascinating little window into Woundwort's psychology and into his state, right? Um, this is his first interview with Bigwig. The patrol, you, the, the patrol brought you in, I'm told. What were you doing? I've come to join Ephrafa. Why? I'm surprised you ask. It's your warrant, isn't it? Is there anything odd about someone wanting to join? Woundwort was nonplussed. 
He was no fool, and it was, he could not help feeling, extremely odd that any right-minded rabbit should choose to walk into Ephrafa of his own accord, but he could hardly say so. This awkward moment, right, um, gives some really interesting evidence into Woundwort's self-consciousness of the situation, right? Again, it's tempting, there are moments when it's tempting to see Woundwort as just like a complete mad, well, mad rabbit, right, not a madman, um, uh, as, as completely insane, right? Um, well, this shows that he is perfectly well aware of what's going on, right? Um, he is under no illusions, right? He's not deluded. He's not crazed. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's not under any deception about the fact that the rabbits under him are miserable. He knows that. He knows no, everyone hates living in Ephrafa, right? He doesn't deceive himself about those things. He doesn't care. It doesn't bother him, right? It doesn't make him want to change. It doesn't lead him to repentance, but it does, um, but it's clearly on his radar screen. He knows this, right? Um, but he also knows that he can't admit that this is true. So he's not simply proud of it, right? Doesn't brag about it, um, feels that he can't really brag about it. Um, so both the fact that he's aware of it and the fact that he feels like I can't, I, I can't really talk about it. Um, uh, and his, uh, you know, as Michael's pointing out, what seems to be his genuine, his honest surprise um, about uh, Bigwig's intention to join, um, really sort of, uh, the phrase right-minded really jumps out to me. Extremely odd that any right-minded rabbit should choose to walk into Ephrafa. It's like a kind of a, a near recognition that he and his Ausla and everybody else are wrong-minded, right? Um, and again, that's not Woundwort's word, this is the narrator's word, right? But still, he's describing Woundwort's, Woundwort's thought process. There, you know, there is, it's like there is a level on which Woundwort recognizes no right-minded rabbit would want to be here, which tells us Woundwort does, in fact, still have some kind of an accurate idea of what a right-minded rabbit looks like. He's not just lost sight of that. He's not, his, his own awareness has not sort of been twisted in that way. And that, I think, is really interesting. Um, Woundwart's uh, performance uh, on the night of the breakout, which is really remarkable. Bigwig realized that since the moment when Kehar had attacked him in the field, Woundwart had not only retained control over his officers, but had actually made a plan and put it into effect. The storm and the difficult going had upset the fugitives and disorganized them. Woundwort, on the other hand, had taken his rabbits into the ditch and then made use of it to get them down to the water meadow, un unexposed to further attack, attack from Kehar. Once there, he must have gone straight for the plank bridge, which he evidently knew about, and set an ambush under cover. But as soon as he had grasped that for some reason the runaways were not making for the bridge after all, he had instantly sent Campion to make his way round through the undergrowth, regained the bank downstream, and cut them off. And Campion had done this without error or delay. Now, Woundwart meant to fight them, here on the bank. He knew that Kehar could not be everywhere, and that the bushes and undergrowth provided enough cover at a pinch to dodge him. It was true that the other side had twice his numbers, but most of them were afraid of him, and none was a trained African officer. Now that he had them pinned against the river, he would split them up and kill as many as possible. The rest could run away and come to grief as they might. Bigwig began to understand why Woundwart's officers followed him and fought for him 
as they did. He's not like a rabbit at all, he thought. Flight's the last thing he ever thinks of. If I'd known three nights ago what I know now, I don't believe I'd ever have gone into Ephrathah. I suppose he hasn't realized about the boat, too. It wouldn't surprise me. He dashed across the grass and jumped on the planking beside Hazel. Um, Woonworth's accomplishment really is remarkable, right? I mean, one of the things that this passage demonstrates is that, right, he's not just strong, right? Woonworth's um, superiority is not simply from the fact that he happens by a chance with which he had nothing to do, to have been born a kind of genetic freak, right? A rabbit almost as big as a hare. Um, he outweighs every other rabbit, and uh, you know, and then he adds to that this remarkable ferocity of his uh, of his nature. Um, but it's not the to, it's it's not only to those things which would make him really fearsome um, that he owes his power as a leader. He also is extremely cunning. He is really smart. Um, and what he is capable of doing here, um, the presence of mind that he shows, the, 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 the level-headedness under incredibly difficult circumstances, when everyone else is being panicked by Kehar. I mean, we have to keep in mind the thing, that's, the thing that is emphasized here. We as readers begin to take Kehar for granted, right? Just like the Watership Down rabbits kind of take Kehar for granted. I love the little glimpse that we're given into the, the wonder of that idea. I mean, remember, we've had a while now to get used to this strange, bizarre idea of rabbits making friends with other creatures, right? That was Hazel's innovation way back in book two. We've grown accustomed to that. Now Kehar is like an honorary member of the Warren is, uh, is, is something that we almost take for granted. Um, we're reminded in Ephrapha that it's something which, from outside the Watership Down community, looks like nearly a miracle, right? I mean, we're told that there are, uh, you know, there are legends in Ephrapha, you know, the, the rumors in Ephrapha of what happened during the breakout, that Flaley called down lightning from the sky. The idea that a, that a gull, you know, swooped down and attacked General Woundward, apparently at the command of Flaley, is really not that different, right? I mean, those two things, uh, Bigwig calling down lightning and Bigwig calling down an attack bird to, uh, to fight for him are not fundamentally different categories, right? Um, uh, so, so, you know, but again, in the face of that, in the face of that, Woonwart not only doesn't lose uh, his 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 own nerve and doesn't lose his own head, but is able to 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 redirect everybody and and to make this plan. Um, it's it's really quite a remarkable accomplishment. And notice Bilbo or Bilbo. I did it again. Bigwig's response. Bigwig began to understand why Woundwort's officers followed him and fought for him as they did. Right? Um, why do they do it? Right? It's not just because they're afraid of him. It's because they admire him, because there is a lot to admire about him. He is really impressive, not just physically imposing, but really impressive. Um, uh, so again, this is something, I, again, I think that we have to be careful not to just think of, of Woundwort as a thug, because he is so much more than a thug. Um, Philip Lord says very, uh, very well, the bigwig is caught between admiring and hating Woundwort. Absolutely. Um, he doesn't hate him any less, right? Um, I love it when bigwig finally cuts loose, right, and calls him a crack brain slave driver. Um, 
and uh, not to mention, isn't that right after he tells him to Silflay Haraka? I think it is. Um, but anyway, um, uh, it's it's. Uh, so I mean, there, there's that, right? He still hates everything that Woundwort stands for, um, but he can't help but admire him, right? Again, not just fear him, but but genuinely admire him. Um, and and again, notice he is cunning, right? He he he's not just the anti-rabbit. He's not just the unrabbit. Um, he is a great rabbit, but that cunning is twisted, right? In fact, it's turned almost on its head, right? What is rabbit cunning supposed to be for, right? What's the model, right? It's, um, it, it's, he's supposed to be cunning and full of tricks, right? This is what Frith says to Elohera, be cunning and full of tricks, right? And you and your kind shall never be destroyed, right? The, the cunning, the, the, the rabbit is supposed to be resourceful. Resourceful, always, never without a trick to escape, right? I mean, like to break into gardens, yes, but um, but to get away. I mean, think about the the kind of cunning that we've seen from Elohera, right? Sometimes he'll be going in, like to King Darzan, uh, to uh, uh, to to pull the wool over his eyes, sort of more actively. Um, but um, uh, but but still, I mean, in all those cases, Elohera's people were in trouble, right? You know, they were they were uh, miserable and near starving in the marshes of Kalfazan. Uh, they were. Um, uh, at serious risk with Hufsa, right, in Hufsa's betrayal, and uh, um, and so you know he 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 tried to get them out of that. Of course, you know we see his self-sacrifice in the story of the Black Rabbit of Inlay and how he's trying to get his people out of trouble. Again, in none of those cases is it aggression exactly, right? Even when he's doing something like breaking into Darson's garden and 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 contriving a way to steal the le the lettuces, or rather to have them delivered. Um, that same cunning um, in uh, in Woundwort is directed not towards escape, um, not towards survival, but towards dominance, towards mastery, towards attack. Right? Um, to find ways. Um, you know, instead of having a trick to escape, he always has a plan of attack. Right? Um, instead of never never being able to caught without a a way to to, to get away from his enemies. Um, uh, he always has, you know, something in mind to keep people from escaping him, right? Uh, to keep other rabbits from escaping him. It's like Elohera, but again, twisted. Um, uh, sadly, twisted. Um, one last uh, moment. Uh, yeah. Oh, wonderful, Thomas. That's a, that's that's a marvelous observation. Um, just as the spirit of deceit, Thomas Johnson says, uh, just as the spirit of deceit in the Warren of the Snares is perverted because it's directed towards other rabbits, Woolworth's spirit of cunning is perverted because it's directed towards the imprisonment of other rabbits. Um, yeah, that, that's really, that's a, that's, a, that's a neat way to think about the, those two, because that is one of the things that we see in both of them, right? Um, in the Warren of the Snares, we saw a rabbit society which was essentially in collusion with man, right? Um, and deceiving, uh, and in a sense, preying upon the the other rabbits in order to try to save themselves. Um, with Woundwort, of course, the dynamics are different, but uh, but but there too we see the perversion of that same kind of spirit of cunning, um, and not exactly deception, literally, but but again that same kind of genre of of of, of skill or thought. Um, 
Yeah, good. Now, uh, one last um, one last point before we finally do actually move on to book four. Uh, you'll have noticed I haven't quite done that yet. Um, is um, that we've that we've we we've touched on it. Certainly set it up anyway. I love this final image, the, the image with which, the comparison with which book three closes. Looking back, the last thing Bigwig saw was the face of General Woundwort staring out of the gap in the willow herb where the boat had lain. It reminded him of the kestrel on Watership Down, which had pounced into the mouth of the hole and missed the mouse. I really like that comparison. Um, you know, there are several ways that that's sort of, you know, that, that several ways we can think about that, several ways in which that's relevant, um, you know, several parallels that we can see here. On the one hand, it's just, it's fascinating to think of Woundwort being put in the, in the position, not of the rabbit, but of the elil, right? You know, he, him as the predator, um, the thwarted predator. Um, and how is he thwarted? Um, thwarted by Hazel's own unorthodox thinking, right? The kestrel. Uh, that pounced, got thwarted, it missed the mouse, not just because it was a bad kestrel, right, not only because of its, it's not because of its ineffectiveness as a hunter, but rather because of Hazel's unorthodox intervention, right, his, his plan to go out and try to make friends with this mouse, which of course in book four we see pay off in a really important way, thwarting Woundwort himself. But, um, uh, but, but but again, the fact that Woundward is being paralleled with the Kestrel there, um, it's it's I, I find that a really neat parallel. That's really fun to think about. Um, and remember also Silver's comment, right? Bigwig had just before there were two, kind of two conversations going on there. Um, one, the conversation which comes after that scene is Hazel's explanation of you know, Hazel's new idea of trying to to make friends with other creatures around. But the conversation Silver and Bigwig had just been having before Hazel saves the mouse was Bigwig talking about how he thinks they should stand up for to more of these elil, right? Um, and Silver's comment, if you recall, when the kestrel pounces down and stands there in you know for a second in the mouth of the hole, and they like are looking eye to eye with this kestrel staring down at them before he flies away. Uh, Silver says. Want to try standing up to that one? He says, "Tell me when you do, and I'll come watch." Right, um, and uh, so th that uh, that 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 connection with Bigwig, Bigwig standing up. You know, if Woundward is the Kestrel, um, uh, and uh, 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 Silver will get his uh, wish of being able to come watch uh, when Bigwig stands up to him. Um, but again, you know, it's it's such a I, I find it su such a wonderful setup for book four. Therefore, in that same way, um, but um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, Kate Neville says that the 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 Kestrel image really really struck her too. Uh, Woundwort is a leader of rabbits and a trainer of rabbit warriors, uh, but he's not really of the rabbits. No story, no family, not even fear. Um, yeah, there's something fundamentally different. Uh, in that way, and that seems to be, you know, like the factor which keeps coming in and sort of twisting things um, uh, all this way. Um, yeah, good. Um, well, moving on to, you know, thinking of all this stuff and, you know, a lot of these compare, you know, the thinking about wound work that we've been doing and, and uh, uh, thinking about him as Chief Rabbit. Uh, and the kind of con uh, comparisons and contrasts we've been doing with Hazel so far prepares us, of course, for the for the beginning of Book Four. Um, and 
uh, the the sort of central moment. I, what I think anyway of, is uh, of the central moment of uh, of the reading for today, um, and that is the contrast with Hazel when Woundwart uh, comes to attack Watership Down. Um, this is Hazel's response to uh, the news of the assault. Holly's right to want to stop the holes, went on Hazel. It's the best thing to do. We fill the holes in good and thorough. Then they have to dig us out. The warren's deep. It's under a bank, with tree roots all through it and over the top. How long can all those rabbits stay on the down without attracting Elin? They'll have to give it up. You don't know these Everfans, said Blackavar. My mother used to tell me what happened at Nutley Copse. It would be better to go now. Well, go on then, answered Hazel. I'm not stopping you, and I'm not leaving this warren. It's my home. He looked at Heisenthway, heavy with young, who was sitting in the mouth of the nearest hole and listening to the talk. How far do you think she'll get? And Clover, do we leave her, or what? Remember, this happens right after the announcement of the birth of Clover's litter, right? Clover's litter is minutes old when they learn that, that the Ephrathans have arrived to attack them. Which seems a not coincidental connection, doesn't it? Um, no, we must stay, said Strawberry. I believe Elahrera will save us from this woundwort, and if he doesn't, I'm not going back to Ephrathah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. Fill in the holes, said Hazel. Now, we can see a lot, you know, things that, we can see many things that we've seen before in Hazel's own leadership approach in this passage, right? Remember how he got irritated at Bigwig when Bigwig bit Hawkbit on, on the common, right? When they, were, when they were arguing during the bad night, um, right after they left Samuelford. And remember Hazel's reaction, right? What he said was, I want them to do, you know, I, I, I want them to, follow, to, to, to go on because they see it's the only thing that can be done, not because they feel like they've been forced to, right? And you can see this is what he's doing with Blackavar too, right? He's sort of showing, look, we can't run, right? Running, <clears throat> it's not just I'm going to be stubborn and fight for our homes, but that can't really happen, right? It's not going to work. They would chase us down and they would kill us. Um, we have no chance if we flee. And it reminds me also of the reaction that we got through Holly of the three of us, um, um, the three of us response to, to Fiverr, right? Um, when, he, when Holly explained what the three of us had explained to him to say, look, you know, the, the, the remedy is worse than the, than, the, than the evil most of the time, right? Um, it, uh, when you stop and think it through, logically, right? When I mean, you see it's, it's you know, evacuating the Warren, it's not going to work, right? Um, it's, more, it's more likely to lead to the total, complete destruction of the Warren than just sticking it out. And most of the time, the three-year-old would have been right. Not in that circumstance, of course, but, uh, but most of the time he would have been right. Um, and Hazel's right here. But again, he's using a similar kind of thing. It's, uh, you know, that connection back to the three-year-old, um, you know, the three of us seems like a, a pretty questionable chief rabbit in the first few chapters, right? Um, but boy, you look back at the three of us and the Sandalford Warren at this point, and you're like, you know, that was obviously the second best, he was the second best chief rabbit and the second best Warren uh, that we've seen, you know, uh, uh, it, it had some serious problems, you know, that were really concerning when they left it at the beginning. But, uh, um, but boy, yeah, in retrospect, but it's, it's really, it's, it, it's really looking admirable. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and of course, you know, Michael is pointing out that, of course, the, the rabbit way normally is to run, right? So there is a sense, you know, in which Hazel, what Hazel is urging everybody to do, right, encouraging them to do, uh, is something which is kind of alien to a rabbit point of view. But again, when it comes to defending the Warren, it's different though. I mean, you think back to the stories of Elahera and the, you know, the opening stages of the story with the Black Rabbit. Um, your impulse is to run to your holes, but when your holes themselves are threatened, what do you do, right? Um, going out on the lamb is um, not the, you know, to, to go out and be without a hole, right? To, uh, to abandon a warren and go warrenless out into the world is uh, not a normal rabbit thing to do. So I think we have to be, we have to be sort of a little bit careful there. Um, now look at uh, Hazel's um, but again, the, 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 this this air of quiet sensibleness and and uh, and confidence um, is very much hazel. You know, is is a very hazel approach, right? Um, no ferocity, no threatening, no intimidation of any kind. Just um, the just this sort of the quiet leadership that we see from him again and again. Um, I love his reasoning here as he's thinking about what to do. Um, you know, his first plan, which is to go and reason with Woolwart, right? But suppose that he himself were to go and talk to Woolwart. Might there not just possibly be a chance of getting him to see sense? Whatever had happened at Nutley Copse, the Efrafans could not fight to the finish against rabbits like Bigwig, Holly, and Silver without losing lives, probably a good many lives. Woolwart must know this. Perhaps it might not be too late even now to persuade him to agree to a new plan, a plan that would be as good for one Warren as the other. And perhaps it might be, thought Hazel grimly, but it's a possible chance, and so I'm afraid the Chief Rabbit has got to take it, and since this savage brute is probably not to be trusted, I suppose the Chief Rabbit must go alone. Um, look at his thinking through this, right? Notice his willingness to give Woundwort the benefit of the doubt on the one hand, right? Because um, he is, right? He's giving Woundwort the benefit of the doubt that he would be reasonable, right? Woundwort has to know that it's going to be really costly, that his Ausla is likely to be, you know, gutted, even if he wins. Um, he's not going to want that. Surely he's not going to want that. Um, so maybe he'd be willing to talk. But at the same time, he's not just, you know, naive about it either, right? Um, this savage brute is probably not to be trusted, he also says. Um, so therefore, he's going to go alone. Notice it's not a, so therefore, I'm not going to bother, right? Um, maybe he would see reason, but he's a savage brute who is probably not to be trusted, so whatever, I'm not going to go. No, Hazel's conclusion is, therefore, the chief rabbit must go alone. So this moment, this... Uh, this decision, which Hazel comes to, which shows so clearly his own reasonableness, his own willingness to extend himself to others, right? Both as we've seen in his delegation and the way that we've seen him reach out to the other animals on the down, right? To the mouse and to, to, to Kehar, all of which were kind of risks, right? Um, whether they I mean like the reaching out to the mouse wasn't a really serious risk. But there was some risk involved. The other rabbits were very quick to point it out. Silver, right, uh, was very intolerant of the mouse because, I mean, oh, man, right, you do, we're just going to have mice all over the place, right? Um, it's, um, 
there's a there is a chance that this whole thing could backfire, right? But Hazel's willing to to take the chance, right? Um, he does the same thing with Woundward, um, but but he's not going to risk too much. He's not going to risk anybody else, knowing that Woundward is likely to take his life. Um, he's going to go alone, so that only he receives the negative consequences. And yes, Patricia, I too am thinking of the Black Rabbit story, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Kate Neville says, interestingly, Hazel seems to have uh, acquired more confidence after his near-death experience, despite his physical weakness. Um, he no longer questions his raw title. You're absolutely right, Kate. Think of the number of times in that, uh, especially in book one and two, when we see him kind of self-conscious, right? Am I being a good chief rabbit? Are people thinking of me as a good chief rabbit? We don't see him doing that anymore, right? Um, yeah, uh, Kate says it's a nice contrast to Bigwig's increase in humility after his black rabbit fright. Um, yeah, 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 that is interesting how sort of the two of them, um, Hazel's increase in confidence and, and Bigwig's, well, not decrease in confidence, but as you say, increase in humility. Um, that is a really interesting pairing, I agree. Um, Nancy asks, is this another case of Hazel underestimating the value of his life to the Warren? I don't think so, Nancy. Can you think about the differences between this and the Nuthanger Farm raid, right? Um, think about the situation they're in right now. The fact is, in the assault, Hazel wouldn't be much good, right? That is to say, um, his life in some ways actually can be spared much better than Bigwig or Silver or Buckthorn or Holly or any or even Blackabar, any of the other really tough rabbits, um, who in fact do make a very good showing of themselves in the fighting that does happen. Um, even just in the parts that were already described in the reading for today, um, you know, in the initial attempts of the uh, uh, of the Everfin rabbits uh, to dig through down the uh, down into the burrows. Um, so. Uh, and I love Blackberry's ingenious defensive uh, uh, solution, right? Rather than trying to cave them in out at the end, to cave them in on the on the downward side, um, which tactically speaking is so brilliant, right? Make it so that they can only attack one at a time and so that you can attack them from several different ways at once when they get down to the bottom, uh, right? While, I mean, it's just uh, so brilliant. Blackberry is so smart. Uh, but anyway, um, but again, Hazel... I mean, yeah, he's their leader, but again, when it comes to the fighting, right, Bigwig is going to take over, right? Bigwig is in charge of the fighting um, because he's the better one to be in charge of the fighting. He's the chief of Hausla. This is his job. Um, Hazel, instead, his job, doing his job means being willing to sacrifice his life for the chance of saving the Warren, um, you know, in a way that he can do, um, you know, and certainly by fighting, he's not going to be able to do it. Um, and uh, Philip Lord says it's interesting that Woundwort doesn't recognize him as a rabbit of importance but assumes Bigwig is in charge absolutely not only does he fail to recognize Hazel to me this is the sharpest contrast um, uh, the sharpest contrast between Hazel and Bigwig the most revealing or in Woundwort sorry um, the most revealing moment in the difference between the two of them and their outlooks as chief rabbit is in the very different ways that this parley looks to them, right? Um, there's like a complete disconnect in what's going on here. Hazel is like, I'm going to go out and talk to him, Chief Rabbit to Chief Rabbit, right? Let's see if we can, between the two of us, settle this uh, as chiefs. And 
woundwort sees only this comparatively small lame rabbit, right? The fact that he's called the lame rabbit. I love how Adams shifts the, the, the narrative perspective to the Afrofin perspective during that chapter um, so that, we, you know, Hazel is described like from the Afrofin point of view, right? He's just called, just dismissed as that, as the lame rabbit. Um, and Woundwort not only fails to comprehend that this is the chief rabbit of the other Warren who is coming to speak to him as equals and who is coming with great courage and willingness to sacrifice himself at great risk to himself in order to try to save his Warren. Instead, he sees the very fact that this guy has been sent to ask terms proves in Woundwort's mind that this guy, this lame rabbit, um, is clearly nobody of importance, right? Um, he's some lackey that Bigwig has sent. Uh, and you can tell because nobody would come and do this. Um, he's, he's performing a menial function, right? That's how Woundwort sees it. Again, he f completely fails to understand what's really going on there. Um, again, he, he undervalues him because he came to talk to him, not despite the fact that he came to talk to him. It's not like, oh yeah, this guy, like he's pretty cool, but whatever, I don't, I don't agree. I don't, I don't value what he values. Um, rather, he, in, in seeing the thing that is, has made Hazel such a great chief, chief rabbit, he sees him doing that and, uh, and, and devalues him in his mind because of it. I mean, it's just like the complete inversion um, of Hazel's values in that moment. Um, uh, yeah, Philip says he lets him go because he's weak, right? He's not even worth killing, right? No, 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 let's send this useless fellow back to the Warren, right? They're not afraid of him. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But then we get, you know, Hazel, of course, does deliver his vision, right? And we come to uh, the turning point of Woundwort's career, right? Very well, said Woundwort. These are the terms. You will give back all the does who ran from Ephrafa, and you will hand over the deserters, Lely and Blackavar, to my Ausla. No, we can't agree to that. I've come to suggest something altogether different and better for us both. A rabbit has two ears, a rabbit has two eyes, two nostrils. Our two warrens ought to be like that. They ought to be together, not fighting. We ought to make other warrens between us. Start one between here and Africa, with rabbits from both sides. You wouldn't lose by that, you'd gain. We both would. A lot of your rabbits are unhappy now, and it's all you can do to control them. But with this plan, you'd soon see a difference. Rabbits have enough enemies as it is. They ought not to make more among themselves. A mating between free, independent warrens. What do you say? At that moment, in the sunset on Watership Down, there was offered to General Woundworth the opportunity to show whether he was really the leader of vision and genius which he believed himself to be, or whether he was no more than a tyrant with the courage and cunning of a pirate. For one beat of his pulse, the lame rabbit's idea shone clearly before him. He grasped it and realized in what it meant. The next, he had pushed it away from him. The sun dipped into the cloud bank, and now he could see clearly the track along the ridge, leading to the beach hangar and the bloodshed for which he had prepared with so much energy and care. I haven't time to sit here talking nonsense, said Woundwort. Decision made. Fate determined. Um, but for a moment, for a moment, he sees it. So here's my question to you. For one beat of his pulse, the lame rabbit's idea shone clearly before him. He grasped it and realized what it meant. What did it mean? What is the meaning of Hazel's idea in this sense? 
when, when, when the narrator tells us that, that he saw what it meant, what did he see? What did it mean? Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting question, right? Um, one thing that seems clear is that for him to choose that, what it would have meant was stepping out of his worldview, right? Um, yeah, Tom Hillman says loss of control. Um, Eric Hansen says uh, also he would no longer have complete control. Um, uh, Nick Marazzo and uh, uh, Michael Chevskowski are talking about giving up power, loss of power, right? Um, uh, Nancy says it would have meant that Woundward had to recognize he had an equal, right? Yeah, a mating of two independent Warrens, so like as if the one was not pitifully subordinate to the other, right? Yeah, it would require some humility on his part. Um, and uh, Kate, I think that's a great way to say it. Kate Neville says <clears throat> a full integration into lapinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, the metaphor of the eyes and ears and nostrils, right? Um, it's such a it's such a compelling way, but yet a gentle way that Hazel points out how deviant Woundwart's actions are, um, his actions of attacking their Warren, but by extension, all of his other, you know, uh, aggressive, cruel, unnatural dictates to his own Warren as well, right? Um, we should not be enemies. You should not be attacking us. Um, we should be together. We should just be like, we are two Warrens near each other on the downs. We should be... Um, uh, we should be like the two nostrils of a rabbit, right? We are both part of the same rabbit, and we are both bound together, and we should act in that way. Um, so, yeah, Kate, I agree. It is a re-immersion, a re-entry, or perhaps in Woundwort's case, an entry for the first time uh, into rabbit life, to be part of the whole, to recognize that, that he is part of the whole, and to... Uh, um, to be only a part of something bigger. Now, there's a kind of irony here, right? Remember, um, one of Woundward's problems that he's having is that his system's all working great, except for the fact that it's it thwarts itself, right? He can't extend his dominions anymore. He can't let Ephrafa get any bigger. He can't let the he, he has to like not even care if the does aren't bearing litters, and he can't let anybody leave. Right, because that would be weakness. That would be reducing uh, the, uh, you know, the, the 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 control, the power that he has, the sort of indirect power he has even over man by keeping everything as secret as it as it is. And yet, Hazel's plan would in fact extend his kingdom in a sense, right? Um, but not on his terms, not in his way. He'd have to step outside his worldview to do it. Right, a mating of free and independent warrens, that's not an extension of his power in the same way. Um, but um, but anyway, that's 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 what he, that's the choice that Hazel gives him, and which he turns down. So I think that this is this is to me a crucial moment that we see Woundwort having a moment where he makes a conscious choice. This is not just Woundwort doing what Woundwort's always done, and he never really knew any better. He does know better, and he sees it, right? He has a real chance. Um, he has a real chance to turn back.
Arthur is uh, thinking of uh, Gandalf giving Saruman a final chance. It's kind of like that, actually. There's some definite similarities there, I think. Um, uh, and it does mean, Arthur, as you go on to point out, a, a, a last chance to choose between redemption and destruction. In the end, that is what it means. Uh, it's what it ends up meaning, though that is not obvious to him at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, he doesn't take it. Um, I, I gotta let you guys go before too long here. Um, I keep uh, losing track of the time because I'm uh, I'm in Phoenix, so I'm in the Mountain Time Zone. It's only nine o'clock out here, so I, you know I'm like, hey, boy, it's still it's still early. Um, but I know it's not on the East Coast, and I know even less so, you know, I know in Europe. Um, but uh, 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 but anyway, so I, I don't I don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, Alan asks a great follow-up question. Does Woolworth then accept the fact that he's nothing more than a tyrant with the cunning of a pirate? I don't think so. I mean, again, going back... Oh, let me go back for a second. Going back to that passage, um, whether he was really the leader of vision and genius which he believed himself to be, or whether he was no more than a tyrant with the courage and cunning of a pirate... Um, I was pointing out how that passage in his first interview with Bigwig shows that he is not simply deluded, right? That he is not thinking, oh, everyone in Ephrathah loves it. Of course, you know, it's not like a we love Big Brother situation, right? He knows that the rabbits in Ephrathah are not happy um, and that, and even on some level he knows that no right-minded rabbit would want to join Ephrathah. Um, but that's not to say he's not deluded about anything. Right? And what the narrator suggests he is in fact deluded about is his own leadership, is his own nature, right? That he sees himself as a, as a leader of vision and genius, which is kind of true. He does have vision and he does have genius. Um, but in the end, um, where is that leading? Um, I mean, his vision for Africa is a brilliant vision. It's a warped vision, but it's a brilliant vision. Um, and he shows the genius and energy to make it happen. Um, but in the end, he is now showing that he's not really the leader of vision and genius, which he believes himself to be, um, but no more than a tyrant with the courage and cunning of a pirate. Um, Hazel, of course, is the one who's showing himself to be really the leader of vision and genius. Uh, and... Uh, and, and again, it's another parallel between Hazel and Woolwort. Both of them are chief rabbits who decide to take their warrens in unorthodox directions, right? To say, hey, let's break the rules. Let's break the boundaries. Let's make a warren which is not really like any warren that any other rabbit warren's ever been like, right? Um, you've got Hazel with his bizarre unorthodox ideas, right, about bucks digging and about, um, you know, making friends with seagulls and things like that. Things that no uh, that no other rabbits uh, other than Elaquera ever did, um, and you've got Woonwork, right, establishing um, a kind of culture, you know, a kind of security, the kind of fearlessness which can't be found anywhere else but a hutch, um, anywhere else in uh, uh, in 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 rabbit culture. Um, but in the end, we see who is really the leader of vision and genius. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
this is, I agree, Neil Antlestein says, this is the moment of final tragedy for Woundwort. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Um, anyway, let me uh, talk about just a couple other things here. Um, three more slides and I'll let you go. It means I'm not going to get to Rousby Woof tonight. Um, but that's because I don't want to rush through the story of Rasby Woof. The story of Rasby Woof is probably the most purely fun of all of the Elevera stories, uh, and I, I, I don't want to give it short shrift. Um, besides, anyway, it'll, it'll fit well enough in talking about uh, uh, the end of the story next time. Um, but uh, a couple things. One, back to the uh, one of the things we've been tracing for a while, which is the, the sort of conspiracy in favor of the Watership Down Warren that we've been observing, um, the sort of either indirectly or even directly supernatural events that have, uh, uh, that have conspired to assist uh, in the adventures of uh, the establishment uh, and preservation of the Watership Down Warren. The, these two moments uh, that I want to show you next serve to, uh, to me as a really instructive um, kind of contrast here. Um, here's Bigwig and Hazel talking right after Bigwig escapes from Africa. I couldn't do it again, Hazel Ra, he said. You haven't got to, replied Hazel. It was touch and go, you know, said Bigwig. A chance in a thousand. Our children's children will hear a good story, answered Hazel, quoting a rabbit proverb. How did you get that wound? It's a nasty one. I fought a member of the council police, said Bigwig. A what? The term Auslafa was unknown to Hazel. A dirty little beast like Hofsa, said Bigwig. I included that last bit because I love that comparison. I find it such a, it's such a fascinating insight into Bigwig in particular, but really the Watership Down perspective on Ephrafa to try to understand what is it, you know, how does the unnaturalness of the Ephrafan system strike the Watership Down rabbits? That I find such a revealing connection, right, that the council police... Uh, Bigwig would compare, would say he's a, or he's, it, it's enough to say he's a dirty little beast like Hufsa. Um, that, uh, in other words, they're not like Elil, right? They're not like something big and scary to be afraid of, which is kind of the role that the Auslifa are in, right? They're the enforcers of the council. Um, but that's not how he, can, how he describes them, right? It's not they're these, they're toughs. They're Quislings, they're traitors. Um, uh, you know the fact that he compares compares them to the uh, to the smarmy, treacherous, and insufferable Hafsa uh, is to me really revealing about Bigwig's perspective on Ephrafa, the Ephrafan Council, and the Council Police. Um, Vervain is not um, is not a terror. Um, he is uh, uh, he's scumbag. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a traitor. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm really interested in that. But, to, but the, the, the thing I really want to emphasize is that first bit, um, where Bigwig recognizes it was a chance in a thousand, and it's certainly true, and we see all the things that happen um, which contribute to Bigwig's being here, especially the storm, of course, very notably, um, with, you know, in particular, the voice out of the storm that comes to him that we talked about last time. Um, but, uh, but again, we see, you know, sort of a recognition by Bigwig and Hazel that really the plan shouldn't have worked. Um, uh, in fact, you remember that's where we start 
book four, right? On any other river, Blackberry's plan wouldn't have worked. But on the river test, at this particular time, it just so happened that it did work, right? Um, and that's been the trend all the way through. Um, the, uh, the career of the watership down Warren, howsoever unlikely, has all kind of worked out. Um, then on the other hand, we have Woundward and his plan, right? This is his, uh, his, his plan for attacking the Warren. His idea was that if possible, they should make the journey in one day. This would forestall any possible rumors of their approach. To satisfy himself that they could do this and still be fit to fight when they arrived, he took Campion and two others and himself covered the three and a half miles to the down east of Watership. Here he grasped at once the best way to approach the beach hangar without being seen or smelled. The prevailing wind was westerly, as at Ephrafa. They would arrive at evening and then assemble and rest in the coombe south of Cannon Heath Down. As soon as twilight fell and Thlaley and his rabbits had gone underground, they would come along the ridge and attack the warrant. With luck, there would be no warning whatsoever. They would be safe for the night in the captured warren, and the following day he himself and Vervain would be able to return to Ephrafa. The remainder, under Campion, would have a day's rest and then make their way back with the does and any other prisoners there might be. The whole thing could be finished in three days. Is that good planning or what? I mean, the idea of, I mean, how creepy is it to think about Woundward himself personally scouting this? Like, you know, you imagine the happy life of the watership down Warren that was described there at the beginning, and to sort of think in retrospect of the fact that, like, General Woundward himself was, like, personally lurking in the bushes on the other side, scouting out how best to attack their Warren, um, uh, is such a, is such a, a, sort of a crazy contrast there. Um, but a Woundward, I mean, if Bigwig's plan to get the does out of Ephrafa was a chance in a thousand, Woundward's plan sounds like 999 chances in a thousand, right? I mean, like there is no good reason why this plan shouldn't work. Um, he 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 not only like thinks it through really well, but he experiments with it and tries it out and uh, uh, doesn't leave anything to chance, right? Uh, except, of course, that one chance out of a thousand did happen, and by accident, uh, well, not by accident, of course, right? Um, the Watership Down Rabbits, in fact, learn, and so all of his whole strategy about coming in by surprise and having a quick victory all gets thwarted, uh, Gerald says, except for one mouse in a thousand. Exactly. Well, it's the mouse, right? It's Hazel's mouse. It's not by, on the one hand, it's a chance, right? But it's not a chance. It comes about as a consequence of Hazel's good judgment uh, and of Hazel's wisdom and good planning. Um, had he not saved that mouse that day, they would in fact have been surprised and destroyed uh, by you know Woundwort's quite excellent plan um, would have been would have been carried into effect. So again, seems like we have a bit of a conspiracy here, right? The one the chance which has a plan with the plan which has a chance in a thousand succeeds. Uh, the plan, which seems almost inescapable, is in fact escaped by what seems to everybody involved to be mere luck. Um, one last, uh, yeah, good, Philip uh, points out that when, when Hazel saved the mouse, he admitted he had no idea how a mouse would be useful, right? I mean, it's not, again, that's like a, the contrast to Woundwart, right? This is not Hazel being like, okay, it's for the increased security of the warrant. I figure if we've got mouse scouts everywhere, we'll definitely find, he doesn't, he's not thought that way at all, right? He's not thought this through. He just thinks this might be a good thing to do and maybe it'll work out well, right? So, I mean, he does, he acts um, 
he acts wisely and he acts well and is reward you know they are rewarded for that um, but again it's not because he's a better planner than Woundwort um, that his born succeeds and Woundwort's does not in this sense um, uh, yeah yeah um, Arthur no no I'm not saying that Hazel's concern was whether or not saving the mouse would be useful or whether he was just being a good citizen um, but it wasn't just being a good citizen like a citizen of what right and being a good rabbit citizen doesn't mean saving mice, right? That was Silver's whole point. You go back to that scene, remember that. Um, Silver was, uh, um, Silver's whole, th remember how he was sounding really kind of heartless, right? Um, uh, in, uh, in, in talking about the mouse, right? Like what good is the mouse gonna be? What's the point in doing this? Um, but it was, it was, uh, Hazel who did it not because like it's the obvious thing that you should do um, but rather although he couldn't see what use a mouse could be maybe there could be um, some some use in it um, so yeah I think it's 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 not just about good citizenship or doing a good deed which everybody recognizes as a good deed because remember they didn't all recognize it as a good deed but it does turn out to be wise and shrewd in the end um, yeah yeah. Um, yeah, good. One last point that I want to make and then I'll let you guys go. Um, a moment which sort of reminds me of what seems to be one of the defining elements of Watership Down culture and one of the things which seems to kind of separate them from other rabbit societies that we see is their um, flexibility, their adaptability. This moment really kind of jumped out at me. Um, it looks as though we're really going to have a natural life again at last, doesn't it? said Bigwig as they browsed their way along the bank. What a summer it's been. I keep dreaming I'm back, I'm back in Ephrafa, you know, but it'll pass off, I suppose. One thing I brought back out of that place, though, and that's the value of keeping a warren hidden. As we get bigger, Hazel, we ought to take care of that. We'll do better than Ephrafa, though. When we've reached the right size, rabbits can be encouraged to leave. Well, don't you leave, said Hazel, or I'll tell Kehar to bring you back by the scruff of the neck. I'm relying on you to produce us a really good Ausla. It's certainly something to look forward to, said Bigwig. Take a pack of young fellows across to the farm and chase the cats out of the barn to get an appetite. Well, it'll come. Um, several things here. First, um... Bigwig has just been saying, oh man, finally, we're getting to live a natural life, right? Um, in first implicit and then explicit contrast to the life in Ephrafa, right? About concerning which he still has nightmares, right? Um, it's a good thing we're not an unnatural Warren like they are, right? And yet, what he immediately goes to from there is, I did bring back one good idea from that place, right? One thing I learned that I think that we should adopt is this thing, right? Just as Blackberry and Hazel, you know, said that, hey, there was like one really great thing that we learned from the Warren of the Snares, right? Which is, uh, as Philip was just pointing out, the Great Burrow, right? That was awesome. Let's do that. Let's copy that. Um, and by the way, to explain my subtitle here, 
um, this is a big medieval thing. Um, the medievals always talked about um, bringing the treasure out of Egypt. It's a reference to Exodus um, when uh, the Israelites depart from Egypt after the plagues. Um, they take with them, they go to their Egyptian neighbors and, and their Egyptian neighbors give them uh, their jewelry and, and treasures to bring so that when the Israelites leave, they not only escape out of Egypt, but they carry with them treasures um, out of Egypt. And that metaphor, the metaphor of carrying treasures out of Egypt, is something that was a, a, a metaphor used very frequently uh, in the Middle Ages, um, and especially for things like... Um, uh, when sometimes uh, one of the writers uh, in the church would be criticized for um, uh, using a, a pagan source, right? Like like Aristotle, for instance, like basing a whole philosophy on on Aristotle and being like, "Hey, man, like he's a pagan. Um, you know, shouldn't you be uh, using the Bible instead of Aristotle?" They'd be like, "I'm." I'm taking the treasures out of Egypt, right? Um, uh, uh, because, of course, the treasures that were taken out of Egypt were sanctified uh, to the making of the, of, the, of the altar, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and, uh, and the tabernacle. Um, that is, they were devoted to the worship of God. So they were taken out of, you know, the land of their oppressors and they were sanctified uh, and made, uh, made holy for the service of God. So that's some of the metaphor uh, that they were using. Um, anyway, I, I naturally thought of that same kind of metaphor. Um, uh, here, because again, they're 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 taking the treasures out of Egypt. Okay, like Ephrathah is awful, right? We don't want to be like Ephrathah, but there's stuff we can take away from it, right? There are things that we can benefit from, um, uh, even even there. There's a kind of humility there, right? That I think is that that is to me part, which comes from Hazel, right? I mean, it's been Hazel's humility that's been one of the things that I think really um, has separated him from the beginning. But that spirit of humility seems to have, you know, sort of been part of the infection of the, of, uh, you know, this good infection in, in the Watership Down ethos um, uh, all along. And I think we see that really clearly here. But again, it's to me fascinating the link between or, or the, the, the connection made again here as it was made explicitly in the conversation between Hazel and Blackberry after you know, reflecting back on the Warren of the Snares in the beginning of book two um, is this connection between one adaptability, the willingness to change, and this idea of living a natural life, right? This idea of, of, of being natural. Um, remember in the context of book two, it was the question of like, can they build a Warren, right? Can Bucks dig? Um, here, um, there's, I mean, there would be, it would seem a natural tendency to say, after what we've seen in the Warren of the Snares and now what we've seen in Ephrathah, this clearly shows that deviation from the normal rabbit way of doing things is bad, right? So we're going to become a hyper-conservative as a consequence, right? We're just going to tell stories of Elifera again and again, and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to do any of this stuff. That can, that's clearly not where they go. And I think it's interesting that we see the way in which adaptability, the willingness to change, the willingness to learn even from, you know, bad examples, even to take good things out of bad examples, um, becomes sort of connected with living the natural life. Um, and the, the way in which the Watership Down Warren is sort of dynamic in this way, um, it to me is... Um, uh, is very, um, I, I, to me, one of the things that's most characteristic of the Watership Down um, 
culture, one of the things that really separates them. They are, in fact, willing to make themselves better rabbits by adapting and by changing, um, and yet they don't lose their grounding in rabbitry, right? They don't lose, which both the Warren of the Snares and, uh, uh, and um, Ephrafa certainly have. Um, one last uh, point that I'll make, and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, notice that Hazel's big visionary idea, right, of uh, have, starting a Warren, in, you know, in conjunction with Ephrafa, has a kind of seed here, right? Bigwig himself is already saying, when we've reached the right size, rabbits can be encouraged to leave, right? You know, he's not, uh, he's not saying we'll pair with Ephrafa, right? That's Hazel's own particular bit of genius and vision, right, to show here is the way in which we could establish peace, in which we could establish something that really would be for the best for both of our warrants. Um, again, I'm just sort of reminded of that moment when, uh, uh, when that moment the narrator was describing Hazel's role as chief rabbit, not of giving ideas, but of being like the conduit or receptacle of what the Warren wanted to do, right? That he was just the one which kind of crystallizes and gives voice to what the Warren is already doing. And again, it's a very humble view of Chief Rabbit, right? Not a dictator. The opposite of a dictator, right? The dictator is the one who speaks, who, who commands. Um, Hazel's not a dictator, he's a listener, um, right? He's in touch with what his Warren needs and what it wants. Um, and so again, even the fact that we see this sort of early anticipation of his great, you know, or rather to say it the other way around, his his visionary proposal to Wundwort, um, the fact that we can see that um, as kind of the final manifestation of something that's already kind of percolating up, and we hear it in, in Bigwig's comments here, um, uh, again, shows that that kind of uh, humility and leadership that uh, that Hazel shows really well. As Philip says, he's a servant of the Warren. Yes, he who would be chief rabbit uh, should be the servant of all. That does seem to be uh, Hazel's, uh, Hazel's approach. Okay. Um, next time, I promise, we will talk about Rasby Woof. I'm not going to skip uh, the story of Rasby Woof and the fairy Wong Dug. Um, so we'll talk about that next time, and we'll get through as much of the end of the book as we can. Um, remember the schedule from here. Next week we are resuming Wednesdays, so we're on, we're on Tuesday night this week. We'll go back to Wednesday nights next week. Um, we'll do as much of the end of book four as we can, then we'll have the Q&A session. We'll finish things up there. Um, so two weeks from tomorrow um, we'll do our, our, our final sort of makeup session and Q&A session. Please do send me questions, things you want to talk about uh, in that final uh, session, and we'll do that then. But um, I wanted to make sure that you guys noticed it's not going to be the final session uh, because uh, I, I, I decided to <clears throat> officially to add another class session at the end uh, to talk about the film. I do want to look at the film and the adaptation and the relationship between the film and the book. Um, so we're going to do an official session on that after the last session. So following tonight, we'll have three more nights, uh, th three more classes uh, on the next three Wednesdays, the 7th, 14th, and 21st of January. Um, and then we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll finish up the, um, we'll be, and, and then we'll be done with Watership Town, um, but not before. So, okay, those are the things I wanted to make sure that I reminded you of there at the end. 
Um, thanks for joining us, everybody, and I will see you guys next week back in my normal environs and in my normal time zone. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Good night.